I knew what I wanted. And it was so frustrating because I felt like the world was telling me I couldn't have those things because I was so young. All of my songs, all of my poems that I wrote were all centered around feeling so deeply and being told I was too young to trust myself, too young to know what true love is, too young to know what I want. I spent a lot of my life being called stubborn and I just never thought I would see when that stubbornness actually paid off and was a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And now look at where I am. Yeah. Hey, hi, hello, Angelia here. And I'm Alexis. And this is Before the Prologue. Alexis, I know we say this every single podcast. I know. But I I mean it every time with as much excitement as every other time. Words are hard today. I'm so excited for our guest today. So, so excited. And I'm going to let you have the privilege of telling us who it is. Drum roll, please. Wait, cheer button. Today, we have the privilege and honor to talk to Raquel Faldeparis. Raquel is the author of several books, mostly YA fantasy, that have yet to see the light of day, but have found a home at Root Literary. Raquel has worn many hats, including wedding boudoir photographer, small shop owner, and substitute teacher. But writing has always been where her heart is at and her biggest dream. When she's not writing, you can find her wrangling her five children, dating her hunky husband, feeding chickens and goats, or escaping into a fictional world. Chickens and goats and a hunky husband? I mean, sign me up. I've got one of those. I have one of those, and he is so sexy. He plays a guitar. So Raquel is, has written a book, and we usually read the book bio here, but because her book is still being worked on with her and her agent, I'm not going to read any book blurb, but I will give you a little snippet. So her book, which is currently titled The Will of the People, and that is subject to change. Quick little pause. This is future Alexis letting you know that the title has indeed changed, but I'm going to keep you on your toes and wait to tell you the title until Raquel herself makes that announcement is an Incan-inspired YA fantasy, and all we can tell you about its release date is that it's coming soon. But when it comes, it's going to be amazing. It will rock your socks off. It will. It will. We've both read some of it and are pumped for other people to read it, and Raquel has poured her heart and soul into this book, and it's just, mm, it's tasty. It's delicious. I would eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm, with a side of ranch or something. I'm not usually a ranch girl, but a little sriracha on the side. Mm. Oh, eat that book right up. Without further ado, we introduce the up-and-coming author, Raquel. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hola. Per usual, I'm I'm in my Friday robe. Not my pink one. I have my gray one on today. Oh, I like the pink one. <laughs> it's just, it's it's filthy. <laughs> it needed a, a wash. I don't, I don't even own a robe. Oh, you need one. Do I? I got one this year for the first time, and it has been life-changing. You can be naked without even anyone knowing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. That's funny. I usually just wear, like, big T-shirts, but my kids always make fun of me because I have no pants on. So I'm like, maybe maybe I need a robe. <laughs> I do feel put together when I have a robe. There's something about it that makes me feel like a housewife. Yeah, it's, like, spa-like almost. Yeah. I think I need, like, a Snuggie. Yes. My anniversary is coming up. I'll tell my husband I want a Snuggie for her anniversary. Snuggie it up. (laughs) Well, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. We tried to record this yesterday for our listeners, and she got a tornado warning (laughs) (laughs) mid-podcast. Just casually, just, and then her kid threw up. It was chaos. It was fun chaos, though. It was fun chaos. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, 
I am glad that everything feels a little bit more calm today. No storms. Yeah. No throw up, hopefully. Nope. No throw up, no storms. We are in the clear, literally. (laughs) And and figuratively. Good. (sighs) All right. So we're going to pick up and ask this question as if you've never heard this question ever in your life before. (laughs) As if I didn't contemplate it all night long. (laughs) We want to know, what was younger Raquel like as a kid? Pretty similar to older Raquel. Maybe a little less confident. I was a pretty serious kid. I was very passionate, I guess, in a like, nice way to put it, about things. And I felt like everything was really, really important. So when I played pretend with my friends, I was the teacher and everybody had to follow the rules because it was very important. And I was really bossy because I, I was very particular and I liked things done a certain way. And then, I don't know, I guess I was just not very quiet. I, I liked talking to people, but I felt like kids my age were like foolish. As weird as that sounds, like I felt like I was not a kid, like I was this big person stuck in this tiny body and everybody was always treating me like a kid and I didn't feel like a kid Mm. and that was super frustrating yeah that puts me in mind of my daughter she is very much exactly how you described and she actually got really offended once because someone called her bossy so we've we've kind of reframed the conversation to be like okay you're just being a future leader yeah so we've really had to reframe (laughs) that for her I think that's so important because I definitely grew up thinking that being confident and like knowing what I wanted and how I wanted things done was a bad thing because it was like intimidating or it was bossy or it was, you know, all these like negative things. So I do the same with my daughters. I reframed that and I was like, you just, you know what you want and you are capable and you are confident and that is not a bad thing. But that was definitely me as a kid. I was definitely, and I was bossy. I knew I could be. And I, I did lose friends over it. I did have people who didn't necessarily want to play with me because of it. But it was hard for me to figure out that balance of like keeping true to myself, but also <laughs> compromising with people in relationships, which is super normal. Hmm. So you were kind of more of a serious kid. Was that reflected in the types of movies you watched or the types of books you read? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I actually did not start reading fantasy until I was an older teenager. I think I read my first fantasy book when I was like 17. Before that, it sounds so crazy, but before that, I solely read lawyer thrillers and memoirs. Whoa. I I started off by reading like Nancy Drew, like the original Nancy Drews. I had the whole collection and I don't don't know what happened to them and it makes me so sad, but I had the whole original collection and I read all of those, flew through those. And then I moved on to, um, I was like 13 and I was reading like Harlan Coben, Lisa Scottelyn. I was reading memoirs. I remember specifically reading this memoir called Loose Girls. (laughs) (laughs) And it was not appropriate for like a 13, 14 year old. But again, I felt like I was trapped in like a kid's body and I wanted so badly to be taken seriously and to be like this adult. So I read all these books and I would have these conversations with people and I wanted to be a lawyer. (laughs) I just had like these big 
feelings about myself and what I expected from life. Out of all of those books, are, are there any that you can think, not even just books, but out of all of the media that you consumed um, that was not typical for um, a, someone your age in that time, was there any type of media that you can think of today that spoke to you so much, whether it was a book or a movie or a TV show? I want to say, okay, I don't remember how old I was when I read it. it. It probably was when it first came out. I don't know when it came out, but I read The Kite Runner, and I can't remember the name of the author. Um, but I know that I was probably too young to read it. And I still to this day remember how it made me feel and the way that it made me, I think it was the first book that I read that I cried because mm -hmm. I'm not an emotional person at all. I actually have a really hard time showing emotion and that book just broke my heart. And I, I couldn't even tell you exactly what happens in the book right now, but um, I just remember it making me feel so strongly able to imagine a world that is so completely different than mine and wishing and like hoping that I could do that for somebody one day. Mm. Oh, that tugs on my heart, knowing that that was the first one that evoked such deep emotional response with you. Mm -hmm. Whenever you were yeah. reading these books, you say that you weren't necessarily an emotional kid. What was the thing that kind of mm. kept you reading? What was the allure about books? I think it's the same for most people. It was the mm. escape. You know, like I said, I felt I felt very misunderstood as a kid. And I was really, really lucky to have super supportive parents. My parents were amazing. But, you know, life was hard. My mom, she got sick when I was like nine. And then my dad lost his job when I was like 12 during that like big recession. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, it was just a lot of uncertainty. You know, my mom was in and out of hospitals. I was taking care of my sister. We were moving. We lost our house. We, I have memories like we didn't have water and I had to shower with the neighbor's hose. But I was young and, you know, I remember making it a, a game for my sister. Yeah. We were just like playing in the sprinklers because we live in Florida and that's a super normal thing to do. So we just used soap and I was like, we're going to play in our bathing suits, you know. And I think reading was just a way for me to collect myself and to like think about the way that I feel about things in a way that was like safe. Yeah. And even though it was like lawyer thrillers that I was reading mostly, it wasn't even fantasy. I still was able to take my mind off of everything and kind of like exist in this world where I knew everything was going to end up being okay. And it was like the same, like there was a formula, there was a mystery to solve, there was, you know, a bad guy to catch. And in the end, like everything was okay. And so I, I think that that is what like really drew me to books. And then, and then I read my first fantasy book and I was like, the game was changed <laughs> after that. I never, I never went back. <laughs> See a <ya>, lawyer crime. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I was like, wait, wait, you're telling me there can be mystery and magic? Like, I'm sold. Do you remember what that first fantasy was? Yes. Oh my gosh. It was Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkin. It's like the Sword of Truth series. It's a whole series. There's like 15 books and it's old wow. school kind of like Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time type of fantasy. Yeah. And it was like my first foray into that genre. And I remember, first of all, it's like an 1,000-page book. Whoa. Ooh. It was like 
Yeah, I was like really into big books with like really deep like like, character building and world development and all that. And I remember reading it and I just was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is life changing. I, I never knew something like that could exist. I mean, I knew books and I read like watched movies, you know, and all that, but Mm-hmm. reading a fantasy world is an entirely different experience because you really have to use your imagination you really have to be absorbed mm-hmm. in this book to really see it fully whoa I love that your first fantasy book was such a big one because it showed how excited you were and you were willing to invest yourself into reading that whole thing and it was and you said it yeah. was a series yeah there was there's like 15 books in the series I only read I think like five five or six, because after that I, I get bored. I have a really short attention span. <laughs> I, I skim through books a lot, but like after the fifth book, I was like, okay, I think that's <laughs> enough. And then I moved on. And then I, I think at that point, Hunger Games was really popular and, or coming out, the first book had come out. And then like, you know, um, what were those other, Divergent and like all that. So I jumped into that whole dystopian genre that was really popular at that time. And then I was... Mm-hmm. After that, I was like, done, done for. (laughs) Yeah. Going back a little bit, I want to just scoot back just a little bit. Um, You were talking about, you know, times got really hard. Your father lost his job. Your mom got sick. I I had a similar, similar moments in my childhood as well. And um, on my episode, we talked about like, I had a safe place and it was probably in the woods or whatever. Did you have a physical safe place in those times where things were hard that you went to or was opening a book the main safe place for you? Or was it a mix of both? I don't think I had, I, I don't really think I had a safe space. I mm-hmm. I tended to run away from things that made me feel vulnerable. Yeah. My home was a safe space for me because my parents made it that way. They were yeah. very, they were very careful to do that. But mm, I do remember there being times where my mom was just sick and I just didn't want to be home. And um, so I was gone a lot. I was away like at friends' houses and, you know, making bad decisions at a young age. And so I didn't really read a lot, probably like in my teen years, because I just didn't want to stay in one spot. Mm -hmm. I I, like staying in one place too long. I got so anxious and antsy and which is so not me now. Yeah. Now I'm like a freaking tree stump. I don't move <laughs> from my one place. But yeah, as a kid or as a teenager, I guess, I was all over the place. And so reading books, while they were like an escape for me, um, they also made me feel vulnerable. And that was scary. So it was like this tug of war with reading. I loved it and I craved it and I was you know, constantly writing throughout all of this. But then also those required a lot of like introspection on my part. And so I kind of tended to shy away from it as much as possible. You mentioned that in between all of that, there was this tug and pull. Mm -hmm. And I also heard you mention writing. Mm -hmm. When did that come into play? Okay, so I honestly can't say for sure when it was like, it became like a a vice or an option, Mm -hmm. I guess. You know, I have... Like I wrote a book, I actually still have it in one of my boxes somewhere. It was like a little poem book that I wrote in like fourth grade probably. So that was what I wrote mostly. I wrote poems and like song lyrics Mm -hmm. and like diary entries. I was, (laughs) 
I was so angsty. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I just thought that I was so misunderstood yeah. and the world was so cruel and I was just so in love. Like I fell in love so easily, <laughs> which was so funny because I'm, like I said, I'm not an emotional right. person, but I actually, I fell in love with my husband and I was 14 <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to marry this person. Aww. And my mom was like, you're 14. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm going to marry yeah. him. Like, there's no question. Um, and then the same thing when I was 10, I told my mom that I wanted to have five kids and I wanted to homeschool them all. And literally here I am married to that guy with five kids that I homeschool. <laughs> so I just, I, I was just a very like, I knew what I wanted and it was so frustrating because I felt like the world was like telling me I couldn't have those things because I was so mm -hmm. young. And so I, all of my songs, all of my poems that I wrote were all centered around that, like feeling so deeply and being told I was too young to trust myself, too young to know what true mm -hmm. love is, too young to know what I want. And it was just, it was a very angsty time <laughs> in my life. Mm -hmm. Well, the notebook is safe, right? Because the notebook isn't going to question your feelings. It's not going right. to question your age. It's just going to allow you to put it down. Exactly. Oh, I I get the tingles because I think that's so special that you still had that confidence to know that your emotions were real and what you were feeling was real and you were capable of feeling love and all these other complicated mm -hmm. things, even if it was, wasn't necessarily being vulnerable but in a way it also was no definitely and i was and I, like i said i was super lucky to have parents that were really encouraging yeah. um they never made me feel like they weren't the ones who made me feel like i was too young or too you know of whatever mm -hmm. um, yeah it was always it was always other yeah. people um and and probably myself too i took a lot of their criticism mm -hmm. to heart and i and i shouldn't have but you know i was young i was a teenager and i thought that adults knew better for me <laughs> than I would know for myself yeah. and I trusted that they had my best interest at heart and maybe they did you know but um I just I learned that I could only trust myself and that that was the best way to to move forward when did you feel comfortable sharing what you were writing with others so I actually I wrote my first full book in 2012 actually it might have been 2011 it was a YA dystopian of course because that was like the really popular yeah. thing and I actually queried that book for like two months back but back when like querying was so different it was what 10 years ago now oh no like 12 years 11 ago. no 11 <laughs> 11 years <laughs> um and querying was so different I don't even know. I cannot even tell you how I found agents, but I queried like 15 agents and within a, like a span of like two months. And then I gave up because I was like, obviously my book isn't good enough if nobody is asking for it. So, and I just left it. And then in 2012, I wrote, I don't even know what it's called, like a contemporary fiction, like lit fic. I don't know. In 2012, I wrote that and I self-published it actually. And then in 2013, I self-published the second book to that. And that was really vulnerable because it was about a girl whose mom was a drug addict and she herself 
became addicted to drugs and kind of just dealing with that and like the the hopelessness of that and mm-hmm. moving on from that falling in love in the process of that and not that I had any experience with drugs personally but you know there was a little bit of time there where my mom because she had been on so many prescription medications that she yeah. became addicted and she was in and out of rehabs and so I you know I writing this book was cathartic in a way because yeah. it was like it was like telling myself like this is where your life could have ended up but you you didn't you know you're you're strong and you have love and support and and if only everybody had this kind of love and support and so i wrote those two books and i self published them and then i completely forgot about them because i was like out of sight out of mind and i couldn't believe i had done it i took them down a couple of years later but um i think that was the first time that i was like okay, like I want to do this for like full-time for real. Mm -hmm. Wow. Is there anything that you remember of deciding to write the book? What spurred that? Or was it just an idea and then you had to write it down? It was just an idea. And I wrote it in literally like a month, I think, maybe three weeks. Wow. And then I just like edited it, edited, edited, and formatted it and had it up on Kindle that was when Kindle was like brand new. So it mm-hmm. was, it was a whole process. Oh my gosh. It was so hard to learn, but I, I designed my cover, everything. And then I just threw it up there and I just, I didn't really think about it too much. I think that was the beauty of it is I was just writing from the heart and mm-hmm. it all just came out and it was a mess and it was chaotic, but it was super, super heartfelt. And I had, you know, people who read it and told me that they were like, this made me cry. And I was like, that's what I want. Like, <laughs> as bad as that sounds I want to make people cry and I want to make people feel you know Mm -hmm. right absolutely so out of all the stories you've written even the ones that never saw the light of day from from outside of your own personal notebook is there any that sticks with you that it feels like you were writing this for younger Raquel Uh, I don't know I think probably the will of the people the book that I queried and got my agent with and I didn't realize it at the time but, and I, and I guess also because of the process that I had to go through in order to write the book, which was, you know, doing a lot of research on my, my mom is from Peru and she's of indigenous descent. So I was really curious to learn more about like my culture and her culture and where she came from and all of that. And through doing all that research and writing this book, I realized like how much of it was just me missing this culture and getting a chance to reconnect yeah to these things that I lost because you know my parents came here and they wanted us to be American they wanted us to fit in and we you know we lost so much of that and I didn't realize how much of myself felt like disconnected because I never felt like I fit in any world like I was too white for like the Hispanic groups, because, you know, I live in South Florida, so there's, it's majority Hispanic here. Um, And then it was, I was too Hispanic to be in like the white people groups, because I didn't, you know, my parents didn't raise us knowing stories, you know, you tell your kids stories, you sing your kids songs, like Twinkle Twinkle Mm -hmm. Little Star and stuff. My parents sang us like, Boyito Asao, and like all these little nursery rhymes that were Spanish, but I was just, torn between these two worlds and so in writing the will of the people i think that i 
was trying to connect to like the world that I felt like I had missed out on. And I didn't even realize that I had done most of this, but I, the themes of deconstructing faith and all this came kind of came into play with that because going to church was like a huge part of my childhood. Whenever the church doors were open, we Mm -hmm. were there and it was a Baptist church. And so there was just a lot of trauma from that. And I, and I think writing this book opened up this whole door into just seeing everything from like an outside perspective. So Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, probably the will of people was like the one that really just spoke to me, like 15 year old me. Yeah. I could just go back and shake her. (laughs) (laughs) My next question for you was going to be, how did your childhood impact what you write today? But I feel like you already answered it with that. Yeah, so you really yeah. did. <laughs> kind of went off topic. No, no, that was great. But I, as a follow-up question, we've started asking this accidentally to almost all of our guests. Um, what would younger Raquel say about or to Raquel now? Oh my gosh, um, <laughs> she would be amazed. She would be amazed because while I knew, I always knew what I wanted, and I knew that I was going to get it. As egotistical as that sounds, I knew that. I was going to be able to do whatever I set my mind to because I felt super confident in in myself and my capability. But even though I wanted the five kids, even though I wanted to homeschool, even though I wanted to write, this whole process has been so humbling. Like I could never have prepared myself for any of it. And I think the only way to learn and to really grow was to go through everything that I have gone through to get to here. But I think the best part is that I never lost sight of myself and my dreams. And I think younger me would have been really proud of that because there was a time where I felt like maybe I should just not be who I was to like be easier to get along with, easier to fit in, easier to, you know, but now here I am and I feel like it was all worth it. Mm. We, I mean, me and Alexis have had the privilege to have like a front row seat of you querying and you go I mean they are the trenches I'm sorry I know people want to rephrase it I know they are the trenches and we've had a front row it is it's not fun but we've had a front row seat to watch you go through that um to get full submissions to get partials to get passes but also we've watched you get agented agented that is hard it's hard right agented so it's really cool for us to see you persevere in such a way, um, especially now, even more so like hearing some of the story and the life that you've lived, man, I'm just, I'm so glad that you pushed through and you persevered and your kiddos are going to be so glad. I'm, I'm sure they're so proud right now. Like, you know, our kids understand yeah. a little bit of it, but they are our biggest cheerleaders. They are. Yeah, no, for sure. They are. And they're the reason why I do this. I mean, I, I think I would have done it even if I didn't have them, but having them like standing there and watching me and seeing me and letting them know that it's never too late to chase your dreams. I think that was the biggest thing I've learned through all this because I felt like I'm 32. I have five kids. I'm way past my like quote unquote prime. And, and I felt like it was too late. And then I was like, that's so stupid. Who put this timeline on chasing your dreams. What does it matter if I'm 32 and I'm writing young adult fantasy? Yes. (laughs) I was just like, I need to do it. I need to do it because I want to do it. And I need to show my kids that we can do whatever we set our minds to. We can do whatever makes us happy, you know, to some extent. But (laughs) (laughs) what do you think your kids are going to think of your book, The Will of the People? Oh, they're going to love it. My oldest, they're actually all really avid readers. 
which makes me so happy. Uh, we literally just sit around and read oh. all day. It's great. Um, but my oldest is like a huge reader. He's read so many fantasy books and he already is asking. He's like, when can I read your book, mom? Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. and he's 12. So I'm like, maybe, maybe when you're like 14, 15, yeah. you know, which is fine. Cause it'll be a couple years before it comes out anyways, I'm sure. So it'll be perfect. Mm-hmm. He'll be one of my first readers. Oh. I love that. Yeah. I know you don't typically, I'm crying for you right now. There's, there's, there's <laughs> wetness seeping from my eyeballs. I'll probably, I'll probably cry when I see my book in his hands. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you need to definitely take a picture of it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. When I think of your story and when I think of how you pushed through the querying trenches, the word that just keeps coming back to me is resilient. You're so resilient. And I think that yeah. it is important for your kids it's important for us mm-hmm. as your friends to see that because not only are you resilient in pursuing your dreams but you're just resilient as a human you know yeah beyond the books beyond the writing beyond the querying seeing mm-hmm. who you are today and even if putting aside the agent offer and the fact that you have an agent I think younger Raquel would be so proud of you regardless of that. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, I spent a lot of my life being called stubborn, and I just never thought I would see when that stubbornness actually yeah. paid off and was a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, ha- you have no idea how many times I was told in my life that I'm so stubborn. And I was like, okay, but I'm stubborn, and now look at where I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I That sounds, I don't know, what is the word? Um not egotistical. What's the other word? It doesn't sound, it, sounds, it doesn't sound anything negative whatsoever. That sounds amazing. I guess. <laughs> I think there's a negative connotation with the word stubborn, but if you yeah. go look it up in dictionary.com or thesaurus.com and you look for the synonyms, they're all positive synonyms for stubborn. Really? Yes. Resilient is one of them. Willful is one of them. That's a great word. Willful. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I just, you know, like I said, I was, I was always, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram. We are fours through and through. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you're both fours? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. I think I know what yours is, Raquel. I know what yeah. it is. I know what it is. Uh, okay, go ahead. What is it? She's an eight. Is it an eight? She's yes. an eight. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm like an eight through and through. Okay. Are you an eight wing seven? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. When I first took the test, I thought I was a five because of like the place where I was in my life. I was like super, super deep into like researching everything, like making these like super informed decisions. And so I mistyped as a five, but then I read this book called The Road Back to You. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, it's a, it's an Enneagram book, but it's like biblically based, but it it specifically speaks to typing your child self. And so when I went back, gathered all my childhood memories I was like wow I'm an eight <laughs> like an eight there's no question about it so yeah an eight wing seven so but I feel like eights get a bad rap they do we're bossy and we are intimidating and we're stubborn and we're you know all these things so I felt like really sad <laughs> at first that I was an eight yeah and I was like wow no wonder I'm so hard to get along with <laughs> um and then no, eights 
Eights know what they want and they're passionate about yeah. about the thing that they believe in. Yeah. And I, those are some of my favorite qualities about you. I love it. Thank you. I, I felt like, I feel like those are my favorite qualities about myself too. Mm-hmm. But well, I, good. I had to, I had to learn how to present myself to people who are ready to receive it or present what I knew or what I thought or, you know, and then I also had to come to terms with the fact that like, not everybody needs to know what I think about everything. People just don't care and that's okay. I you know, can offer myself in different ways and be, you know, what's it called? I don't know. I just, I I had to learn about being an eight and being loving and a loving eight, I guess is the the word. Or a healthy eight, you know? A healthy eight. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. for sure. There's something so refreshing about you. I don't know a lot of eights. Oh yeah. But I don't either. There's there's something so encouraging and inspiring in a mm-hmm. you're so bold stop <laughs> and unapologetic and authentic yeah we, alexis this is just like an affirmation podcast <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> go ahead keep going <laughs> no but truly that it's it's nice to hear because i do feel like i come on a little too strong sometimes and so I'm, I'm constantly like trying to remember to rein myself in because I can be passionate. I can be a lot. And I know that. And, but, and, and I love this movement that's coming around. That's like, if I'm a lot for you, then go find somebody who's less. Go, go find less. Yeah. So, and, and that makes my heart so happy. And I'm so happy that our kids are growing up in a world too, where I feel like that strength is more accepted. But I also have to say, I think you guys have a a type of strength that I'm so jealous of because I feel like you guys can connect with people and be so sympathetic and so nurturing and loving and uplifting. And I love that. And I feel like I'm not good at those things. And so I've just like come to see there's so much strength in every personality type and every type of person and every like the quiet strength, the loud strength. Sometimes the quiet strength is stronger, honestly, (laughs) but I, you know, anyways, that's a whole Enneagram tangent. But (laughs) That's beautiful though. And I, I mean, it kind of speaks to the heart of our podcast. We've all lived such different stories. We've all lived such different backgrounds. And I've said this about our little friend group before on paper, by all like on paper there is no reason for any of us to be interacting in such a close capacity today because we come from such different backgrounds we've lived such different lives we have such different ethnicities from one another some of us are disabled some of us aren't and I think that is beautiful how each of those things have molded us to where we are today and have shaped us and helped form our personalities in such a way that we need all of the personalities for the world to function. Does that make sense? Like you can't just have the super tender caring people who cry at the drop of a hat. You also need that. That's me. That's me. You also need those people who are like, okay, I I see you. I sympathize with you. We have to make a decision and we have to have a plan and we have to, you know, we need all of those. And I feel so often that our childhood helps inform that, help mold Mm -hmm. that. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I totally agree. 
And it's funny because I definitely, as I've gotten older, I'm definitely more emotional now. Um, like, and I actually only cry in books and movies. I, I don't cry in real life still. I'm working on that. But when I'm watching movies or TV shows and I'm, or I'm like reading, I find myself crying for like fake people. <laughs> but I cry for real people. I'm like, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> But it just feels safe. It feels safe to be able to express that emotion in a world where I know that everything's going to turn out okay, you know, where yeah, I can yeah. let myself like oh. be vulnerable and be like, oh my gosh, everything is ruined, but it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to get better. Yeah. And it feels, and it feels okay. So this is not, this is not an official question that we usually ask people in this podcast, but Alexis, it needs to be now. I don't know why it needs to be, but I'm pretty passionate about it okay. as of no. this moment. Should I be scared? <laughs> no, but I do think it kind of helps me gauge how you perceive other certain characters in mm-hmm. books that okay. we have mutually read. Yeah. Were you Team Jacob or Team Edward and why? Uh, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that coming. This is such, such a controversial question, but I think it helps me gauge why people are Team Resand or Cassian or whatever. So team Edward, team Jacob, and why? So I'm going to tell you this first. When I went to see the premiere of the movie, because back then you could go to premiere, like midnight premieres. Yeah. So I dragged my husband. Was he my husband at the time or my my boyfriend? Regardless, either way. I think he was my boyfriend. I dragged my boyfriend to the midnight premiere. We were wearing matching shirts. (laughs) His shirt said team Bella. (laughs) My shirt said, literally said team can I have both? <laughs> yes. oh my I, I, you know, back then I was like, they both have merit, you know, they both have like a, a side to Bella that they, they speak to and they, and, and I wanted that for her. Um, now as an adult, I'm a thousand percent team Edward. <laughs> present team Edward except I really hated how he like made decisions for her and like left her which is yeah. kind of a story kind of a story similar to my husband and I because he broke up with me because he was like you need to learn about what you want in your life and I was like I know what I want damn it <laughs> that's the whole point <laughs> and so I hated Edward for that which is probably why I wasn't team Edward at the time because it was like too close to home yeah but now as an adult I'm like I I would be a vampire in a heartbeat Take my soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, live forever and be beautiful and strong. Are you kidding? Like, yes, please. Yeah. In the words of Bella, if you're worried about my soul, don't. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want it. Take it. (laughs) So when you – I just watched the whole series last week. Yeah. And the very last movie when Edward, at the, like almost the very last scene, he's like, I've had a bad habit of underestimating you. That made Mm -hmm. me think of you. Yeah, I love that so much. I was literally like, and I didn't relate to Bella at all because she actually frustrated me um, because she was so like meek and kind of like, she was like a wet noodle. Yeah. Um, Her character was inconsistent. (laughs) If you look at her character, there were some things that were so out of character. Yeah, absolutely. I know. That sounds bad. I'm sorry. If anybody. That's such a Gordon. No, that's just very Gordon Ramsay. You wet noodle. Where's the lamb sauce, you noodle? I'm sorry. (laughs) I use that description a lot. Like when I my I tell my kids they have noodle arms. I'm like, can you just be strong for a second? Like I'm trying to stop noodle arming me. Like, I don't know why. Anyways, I did not relate to Bella at all. So I was like really frustrated with her. But 
I don't remember where we were, what we were saying. <laughs> Bad we habit going. of underestimating. Yes. Yeah. I feel like she knew what she wanted. And like, it was so frustrating that everybody was like, ah, are you sure you want that? She knows he's a vampire. She's perfectly capable of making her own decisions. She's not like a little lamb. Well, she acted like a little lamb, but I think that was the worst part of the whole book. Mm-hmm. But I did like in the end that she got what she wanted and everybody was like, oh, wow, yeah. you are like perfect for this and she was like I know I tried telling you for four books <laughs> what a stupid little lamb <laughs> what a masochistic lion sorry I'm gonna go into audiobook narrating <laughs> all right Alexis do you want to bring us home with the last question yes oh that's the wrong spot <laughs> what a bird I used my I used my button again Oh, I have a soundboard that has buttons on it. Oh my gosh, thought. that's amazing. Okay, are you ready for the ultimate question? I don't know, I don't know, am I? Okay, give it to me. If you could title the book of your life, what would it be? You know, I was preparing for this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I couldn't like think of anything at yeah. first because I was like, I don't know. I I don't know. If I had an overarching theme of my life, what would it be? And then I was like, oh, I guess something like growth. And anyways, I think Growing Places would be the name of my book. She's going to cry again. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. I love you. Did you just see the actual terms? <laughs> yeah. Growing. That, that's beautiful. It is. Based off of everything. <laughs> Sorry, Alexis. I can't right now. I love you so much. She's <laughs> hiding. Based off of everything that you have shared with us today and the glimpse of your life that we've been given in social media, I would say... Yeah, I would agree with that. Growing places. As we've said 50 times in this podcast, you have been super resilient. Um, You've been resilient and you've not let yourself stay in a box that the world probably wants to put you in because boxes are gross and they're meant to be cut out of. Mm -hmm. It's aggressive, but it's true. And (laughs) And now here you are, this beautiful, amazing mother, beautiful, amazing mother, you are showing your kids that one, they can be very proud of their heritage. You're mm-hmm. showing them they don't have to stay in a box. And you're you're bringing diversity into the publishing world, which is so needed. Um, th- we've had a big wave of in that, but there's, there's room yeah. for more. And I think that is so important that they see, hey, here's where I came from. And you know what? Because I chased my dreams and because I let myself get out of these boxes, here's where I am now. I'm growing places. I love that so much. <laughs> Thanks. I like that it's a play on words because you're going places, but as you're doing Mm -hmm. so, you're growing. You've set your mind. You're being stubborn in the best way possible. You're following this will, but at the same time, you're checking in with yourself. You're allowing yourself to adapt, to grow, to pivot. And it's it's beautiful. That has been my whole life lesson is that the growing never stops. Never. You know, I'm 32 years old and I'm still growing and I – and I love it. I love growing and I love learning and I love adapting. And I'm just so excited that 
I can do all those things confidently now, you know, knowing who I am. And I hope it never stops. If you ever have a second life wherever you're driving a, an Airstream around the country with plants, that would be the perfect name for your Airstream. Literally my dream. I was going to buy an Airstream. Oh my God. Not even kidding. Before I got pregnant with my fifth, we had plans to buy an Airstream and turn it into a mobile flower shop. Did I and... just read your mind? No, I'm not even kidding. That's why it's so weird that you said that. That was like all I wanted. And then I got pregnant with my fifth and everything went down the drain. But (laughs) it it turned out to be fine. But yeah, literally I was like, I'm going to have a flower shop and an Airstream and I'm going to travel all around the country and sell flowers. That is so niche and I love it. I know. (laughs) It was probably not ever going to be possible with four kids, but hey, girl can dream, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, she can. Look at you. You're making your dreams a reality. Yeah, right? Alexis, do you have any final thoughts you want to say? <laughs> no. I, I, well, no. <laughs> you have to now. You can't just do that. <laughs> any final tears you would like to drop me, love? No, I know. I'm sorry. I have nothing else to say. Oh, no. I just want to thank you, Raquel, for being vulnerable with us today. And I want to thank you mm-hmm. for being a really, really good friend. I think you underestimate yourself too in that Mm -hmm. aspect. I think you do a great job of acknowledging your strengths, but there's a few things that I think you see as weaknesses that are still strengths. And Mm -hmm. I admire you for exactly who you are. And I hope that going forward, you can continue to just embrace even more of yourself because it's, it inspires us constantly seeing you be you. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And thank you for making a safe space for people to come on and be themselves, their true selves, you know. You're the best. You're the best. (laughs) All jokes and fun stuff aside, it's been really fun today. Um, Raquel, thanks for joining us. Cannot wait to have you back. And well, yeah, we're just, we're excited to watch the rest of your career as an author unfold on social media. And we cannot wait to see the success that you have already had, but will continue to have. And it's been an honor. We love you. Love you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, girly. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. What? Because <laughs> we're noodles. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm trying to leave. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> we have got to leave all of that in. That's so funny. Oh, my golly. <sighs> Well, she's amazing. We knew going into this interview, she's one of, uh, she's a good friend of ours. I knew going into the interview, it was going to be fun. Yeah. But it was nice to hear parts of her life that we have not been able to see on social media. Mm-hmm. And it was very encouraging and just so inspiring. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I agree with that statement. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> oh, Copy <man>. paste. <laughs> Great assessment. Excellent assessment. (laughs) (laughs) The highest of quality assessments. Oh my goodness. My cheeks hurt so bad right now. My heart is feeling fuzzy. My eyes are feeling wet. Mm. And (laughs) I am so glad that we got to hear her story even more. And I just encourage you to follow along with her. On social media, we'll have her information in the show notes, but she is such a voice. 
her voice is so powerful and inspiring and encouraging yeah. in all of the ways. So please follow along. I cannot wait until she has more news about her book and getting picked up on submission. Oh, that's so exciting. It was the perfect time, perfect day, perfect interview, perfect person. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Before the Prologue. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review. It really helps. And if you want some more behind the scenes content, follow us on Instagram at Before the Prologue Podcast. See you next time.